Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. Here's the headline in the newspaper as I begin this conversation. Frigid onslaught stretches limits of electric grids. Texas is freezing. Here we go. Texas shiver and get irate as power fails. And they're trying to blame it all on the Green New Deal. I'll tell you what, Texans, I um, if there's any of you listening to my podcast, don't be so stupid as to believe what MAGA tells you when it comes to your failing electric grid. All right. That's not what we're going to be discussing on, on today's show. I just I saw the headline and I just I just went down that path uh, as I do with all uh, bonus guests. I asked my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Thank you, Ben. My name is Michael Harrington, Chicago native. Um, living here in far north side Chicago in Rogers Park, very uh, active in the community, co-chair of my Network 49 political action and issues organization in our community, proud to have elected our magnificent, wonderful alderwoman, Maria Haddon. And uh, my two kids are doing fine in their apartments, and I'm enjoying my bachelor pad here in Rogers Park. All right. That's Michael Harrington. I've known Michael for a long, long time. He's being a little modest. Michael Harrington is one of the great leftists in the city of Chicago, and he's not one who's going to be embarrassed by me calling him a leftist. A lot of my lefty friends are, Ben, can you call me progressive? No, Michael's not going to play that game. Uh, He's a proud leftist. And uh, I I was telling him the other day, I first became aware of Michael. Oh, God, Michael, we're going to really age ourselves. I think it was 1981. I had just moved to Chicago. You were a young man, very young man running for alderman, as I recall, in the 44th Ward. Uh, you were not victorious, but uh, what the heck, it was a good fight. Uh, and of course, and this is one of the main reasons I wanted to reach out to you, you were a longtime friend and a close uh, aide and ally to the great, the legendary, uh, my dear friend, Karen Lewis. And as far as I'm concerned, the next year will be Karen Lewis memory uh, moments on the Ben Jarofsky show because her legacy is so important. Uh, I want to take every opportunity I can to keep it alive, talk about her significance in uh, terms of Chicago politics, ongoing significance uh, to Chicago politics and lefty politics and teachers union politics, et cetera. You think that's a good idea? I think it's excellent. Um, Karen's spirit lives on, and we're seeing still and will for more than a year see the impact of what she did and what she gave to Chicago. I think it's it's right and proper to celebrate people that do good stuff for us, for us as individuals, for our planet. Continue to, to lift and support that. I was glad to be there with Karen to, in helping her leadership work with the teachers' union. 
All right, Michael Harrington was a, a top aide to Karen when she was running the uh, teachers union. But let's go back in time, Michael. And I said I would do this uh, I, when I reached out to you for the interview. Uh, Michael Harrington also happened to be coincidence, coincidence, a schoolmate of Karen Lewis uh, back in the day when they were both outstanding young scholars at Kenwood High School uh, in Hyde Park. And uh, I, I say this, uh, Michael, I told you this already, uh, Karen would tease me mercilessly. Uh, she was a great trash talker and she loved to tease me, but she would say that her high school, Kenwood, was way cooler than my high school, Evanston Township High School. It was really hard for me to argue with her, Michael, because I kind of agreed with her that Kenwood was way cooler than Evanston. Um, I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on the, the great Kenwood Evanston, which high school is cooler debate, although you seem like you want to weigh in on it. Well, I could actually, you know, if you think of the word cool, you might think of, of fantastic entertainment and, and, and entertainment stars like Mandy Patinkin or Chaka Khan, um, who were students at Kenwood high school when I was there. Um, but you also think of beyond cool. I think about how important, significant it was that our school in Hyde Park was in the shadow of the University of Chicago, the Merchant, the Museum of Science and Industry, and there was a huge degree of pride, responsibility in education in that whole community, you know, integrated community on the South Side, middle class. We had a tremendous amount of community support, financial support, institutional and political support because of where we were situated. So we had the most incredible cream of the crop teachers, supplies, equipment, adventures, and challenge as students going to that school. Um, everybody, nearly everybody emerged from that those classes and excelled and i understand from teachers there now that they still have a high degree of challenge that they give students in the academic work they're performing and they're very proud of it and they continue to be and i'm i was proud of it all right michael now you graduated in uh 1971, 1971. right right karen is one year well she she was in your class do you have any memories of karen yes yeah well she was she was part of the, you know, we were cool. We had dances. We had parties. We had um, social events. We painted signs to go protest the war in Vietnam. Um, we did a lot of students in our class, a lot of things. Karen and I specifically would have worked together on the school yearbook when I was editor of that. Um, she left school early to go to Mount Holyoke, I think it is. So she didn't actually graduate with our class. She you know, the young lady was smart enough to continue and eager enough to force more education on herself, and she did. Uh, do you, uh, can you get a sense of what the spirit was like? I'm always trying to figure out, like, what helped develop Karen Lewis to be Karen Lewis? And uh, I'm thinking about Kenwood High School in 1970. Mm -hmm. What was we the spirit the, of the spirit? We closed the school down several times for uh, black rights protests. At Kenwood, we filled the gymnasium with all the students and the faculty there discussing and arguing the politics of the day. School was shut down because we were having a student conference that day and uh, <laughs> other days. And as I said, you know, groups of us did things like protest the war in Vietnam. We did student nonviolent demonstrations. We had um, just some incredible, incredible shining lights in social action 
experiences also in grade school and high school. And that's, the, you know, that, that's part of what's the formative years of learning right from wrong and understanding principles and morals and how that related to our lives at an early age. Yeah, Karen was there for all of that. I'm just trying to imagine closing down the school in oh, 19. Yeah. What was what was the particular reason you closed the school down? I can't remember. I don't I don't know if it was um, another black man shot by the police or the 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 Ed Hanrahan raiding and and killing uh, Hampton and and Martin the Clark. Black Panthers. I mean, yeah. all of that was very clear and present. Martin Luther King getting killed uh, the Kennedys. We were social action activists early on. Mm. So let's fast forward and uh, talk about when you reunited with Karen uh, to work with her at the teachers union. Talk about how uh, I assume she recruited you to come work for her. Go ahead. That's exactly what happened. Um, Karen knew that I had worked with the Chicago teachers union and doing communications for Jackie Vaughn in the mid eighties for several years, worked at the, in the union offices. And we came together to talk about our 40th annual high school reunion planning. She and I co-chaired that in, um, that would have been like year 2012, 13, 14. We spent a couple of years planning the grand reunion celebration. And during that planning, Karen mentioned to me that, um, you know, you've got Chicago Teachers Union experience. You've got all of this journalism and reporting in your background. You're really good at communications. I would love for you to come work with me at CTU. And I thought, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, finally, she she got me to agree to walk into the union office with her and her her team on the very first day of her presidency. Karen divided the formerly chief of staff position into two positions and i was as director of union operations overseeing communications finance you know it's like a the union is a 20 million dollar institution um budget every year finance and administration and my colleague my other side of the coin would be jackson potter who was responsible for teacher Education, members of teacher member support, union contractual issues, grievances. So I did communications, finance, and administration. And yeah, my office was right next to Karen's. We worked together every day for five years before I retired in 2015. Now, one of the members you had, uh, you, you shared with me the other day that uh, you had a, a ritual, a habit of uh, sharing lunch with Karen. You guys would be eating sushi, as I recall. Yes. Uh, Yes. That's how close you guys were. Your offices, there's two Kenwood grads right, right next to each other. Yeah, she put her, my office right next to hers, <clears throat> which was the former chief of staff office. And our long, we worked long days. It started early in the morning with phone calls and texting, probably like 6 a.m. is left, 6.30. We would be checking in with each other as we're driving and getting to the office. Um, I would get the coffee first, or she would. We'd all got lots of work to do, all meetings a day. When we could get out of the meetings, when I didn't have it, she did, we'd had lunch in her office. Always had sushi. Sushi was her fave, mine too. Um, but we also had ribs. We had barbecue. We had chicken wings. We had <laughs> other things as well. I mean, we're black people from the South Side. And so that we enjoy the celebration of each other, and food is always part of that. And we also ended up, 
yeah, dinners and then late into the night. She and our staff members, we tried to really build a, a feeling of team and club atmosphere and friendship. And um, sometimes it was very challenging. Sometimes it was hard to accomplish because we had a lot of fights in between the union and the mayor's office, people that didn't understand why we were pursuing education in the ways we were. Um, a lot of politics, Karen and I in Springfield. I, I've got a thousand memories about all of that. All right, let's get into the politics of it. This is a political talk show, after all. Uh, and the mayor that you just alluded to, of course, was one uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. When Karen Lewis was first elected, and probably when you were appointed, I believe was still Mayor Daley, uh, yeah. but uh, Rahm uh, marched into office around May of 2011. Even before that, he had it, that infamous sit-down dinner with Karen, where they were going, they were their meet, get to know you dinner, uh, and it's, and instead of saying, "Hey, what was it like uh, going to high school with Michael Harrington uh, at Kenwood in 1970?" which is what I would have asked instead of, "Hey, what's your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie?" Uh, which is what I would have asked. Uh, he said, "This is what you're going to do, Lewis." You're going to tell those little hippie commies in your little freaking union to yeah. shut the F up while I charterize the public schools, make them work longer and cut their salary. And you're going to sell it to them. And if you don't sell it to them, I'm going to smack you around. That's that's welcome to my mayoralty. And he Rahman. says, and he says, so that's it. Fuck you, Lewis. Yeah, well, that the, that the fuck you, Lewis, came a little later. I'm, I'm like a con, I'm like an expert on Rom's okay. insulting meetings with Karen because okay. we used to talk about him all the time. Uh, so that's the atmosphere that that uh, the unions are inheriting. The at the attitude that the mayor very hostile, very combative. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was what's what's going through your mind? You're a strategic thinker, Michael. You've been involved in politics. You're talking to Karen. What's the what are you like? Uh, recommending that she and the union do in the face of such hostility. Go ahead. I don't think I had to recommend it as much as we were of like mind early on. We understood that we, that our union members, teachers, school aides, all paraprofessionals, all kinds of roles working to make school happen. We understood that our, our, our first client was the student. Our second client was the students and their families and their parents. So, leading communications our intent was making sure that we were communicating clearly the 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 pros and cons and challenges that their students face we were communicating to parents of chicago and then also then to the residents of chicago because we all pay for education we all should feel our investment in its success so we let the politics let let all of these people with selfish interests their money and their political goals they can do what they want to do, but we're going to be consistently talking about how our work relates to giving the students the schools they deserve. So we kept we we focused on that, communicating with the public, rather than just act, reacting to the mayor, pounding in the message on why why our work mattered. I, I think that that's what I would have continued to support. Didn't need to recommend it. Karen and most of our team understood that. Uh as I said, you uh, have a background in politics, so you know you know a lot of the players in the game. Were you getting uh, back channel conversations from them saying, "Michael, can you get Karen to back off?" Yes. Oh, yes. Talk about that. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I've 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 learned and learned and know a lot of these people in Chicago. I, my lots of involvement in city politics and 
even working for Harold Washington's election and he appointed me to his transition team to help lead the education committee of his transition team. I got to know a lot of these players and working with Jackie Vaughn, I said in the 80s. So they would be calling, talking about, can you give this to Karen? Can you suggest that to Karen? Um, I would relay the messages, but I think mostly we were discounting them because people had other motives rather than supporting Karen, which was my motive, other than supporting the union, which was my motive to do. Uh, however, we also had good calls, Ben. We had people, and I think the majority of the calls actually were from people that invited us, invited us out, invited us to come meet their constituencies, politicians and neighbors and community leaders inviting us to join their organizational conferences or whatever because they wanted that inspiration that we were pushing. We believed in hope. We believed in caring. We believed it was a moral responsibility, the work we were doing, and we were not afraid to talk about it. So I'd say the majority of calls were actually very positive. Uh, I have I wrote this up and I told you this about this. I foolishly made a bet with Karen Lewis that there would be no teacher strike. Uh, <laughs> the dumbest bets I ever made uh, because it seemed to me it was 2012 that there was no way uh, President Obama would allow a teacher strike to occur in his hometown or in his adopted town, uh, not his hometown, his adopted town, uh, when he's running for re-election. Man, was I wrong. Um, <laughs> we assumed so, that, that, that he would be some pulling some political strings yeah. about that too. So what what happened? I mean, Michael, why did the powers that be allow Rom to go so far toward antagonizing the union? Why didn't anybody put a restraint on Mayor Rom? Why did they let him try to turn uh, the the teachers' union into the enemy? Um. Uh, I think Chicago sort of has a reputation as is just being mayor of Chicago allows you to be hell on wheels if you want to be. And Rom saw himself as he was chief of staff in the White House. Who's going to tell him not to do anything anymore? His ego was and still is big enough where he thinks he owns and can control everything. So I don't know if Obama intervened or not or tried to or not but clearly it, it didn't it failed and Ron continued to think he was the power he was we're seeing that we've seen that too many times where the mayor of Chicago thinks they're hell on wheels and they can dictate rather than collaborate rather than listen to the public and be accountable the city of Chicago was not supporting what Ron was doing lengthen in the school day don't pay the teachers anymore um, we're gonna we walked into the door and we were getting challenged right and left by the political machine in this city because they understood the directions. We were going to be asking for more and better for the school system in Chicago. I don't. I, I really can't get into why Mayor Rahm's head was where it was. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm more concerned with why uh, uh, President Obama uh, did not put some restraint. You said, who's going to tell Rahm what to do? Barack Obama. <laughs> That's I mean, the deal was let's just go back in time to remind it. Particularly our younger listeners don't even know our mayor was Richard M. Daly. Follow me, everybody. He yeah. said, I'm tired of being mayor. I don't want to be mayor anymore. So Mayor Rahm, who is a chief of staff to uh, uh, Barack Obama. Obama, said, I want to be mayor. So they yeah. cut a deal. Rahm comes back to Chicago. 
uh, a town he really never lived in, becomes mayor right. because the, the voters in Chicago will just pretty much do whatever they're told. So they elect Rahm as their mayor. And Bill Daley, the former mayor's brother, goes to White House. becomes Michael, that may have been the worst trade. If I, I don't know if you're a sports fan. I would have to say uh, that was the, like, the worst trade ever. Brock for Broglio, the infamous Lou Brock for Broglio trade, was a better trade than that one. Your thoughts about but, that? But, well, look at it. Look at it. Let's step back and look at it all in context. Politics here is played like it's some kind of insider's club. Only friends allowed to play. And that it continues to be the problem with with our democracy right now. You know, we have a hard time lecturing people around the world about their version of democracy when Chicago, Illinois, and America hadn't quite practiced it that well <laughs> ourselves. So, yeah, yeah, the, the, the musical chairs with the dailies and Rahm and Obama, people are thankfully but not quick enough, but thankfully learning and understanding that this is not democracy where we all get to be considered. We all have a right to be involved in decision-making that affects our lives. That's a a principle, I believe, since the high school days with Karen, since Um, we were shutting down the school over civil rights, since we were protesting the war. I'll put it this way. I wish... That in having a citywide democracy in Chicago, they just allowed Kenwood grads to vote for mayor elections. Then we would never had <laughs> just let you know what Chicago, you did such a bad job of electing mayors. We're only gonna li- we're gonna limit it to Kenwood grads. Well, I hope I hope <laughs> the schools are teaching critical thinking, and in fact, I'm sure they are. Kenwood may not be the only one, but. Uh, there's a lot of credit about being a Chicago public school graduate, and uh, I'm very proud of, of, of the faculties that helped me become who I am, and my mother, of course, as well. All right. Now, let's go back in time. I'm going to uh, uh, make a revelation here on the show. I, I've talked many times about uh, how excited I was about Karen Lewis's uh, mayoral bid, uh, which was cut short, of course, uh, when she got brain cancer. Uh, the first event that I recall was a uh, conversation with Karen at a Beverly uh, banquet club uh, somewhere in Beverly uh, that I went to. I remember it very uh, just vividly. It was 2014. Just it's already seven years ago. Good God. Anyway, I was so excited uh, by that event. The room was filled with teachers from the Southwest side and their husbands and family members, firefighters and cops. I'm like, wow, this is an interesting coalition. I walked into the parking lot. Who was in the parking lot smoking cigarettes? Didn't mean now. Yeah. Uh, Michael Harrington, who is uh, going to be one of the uh, leaders of Karen's uh, mayoral uh, effort. And I was so excited. I go, what do you think, Michael? What do you think you could actually pull this off? We're in the parking lot. We're like, there was another guy. I can't remember who the two of them were smoking cigarettes like a chimney. We're all like dreaming about Karen Lewis being elected mayor. What was uh, Michael going to be sort of the tactic or strategy uh, that uh, Karen was going to follow in order to get uh, elected mayor? Well, obviously, you know, the, the union support and our 20-some thousand members of the unions was, was there. That was, that was already a given, and that was tremendously important. I think the, the, the team of people that, that I involved, Karen asked me to manage the campaign for mayor, 
and some of the most important partners for me in helping make that happen were our communications director, Stephanie Gadlin. Um, I'd say Jesse Sharkey was tremendous, tremendous solid support as well. Those two names from the union I will continue to hold up high. Um, but we also knew that Karen was comfortable and conversant with talking with and listening to and actually responding to black, white, and brown, yellow, green, and white, and Asian in Chicago. Karen had no bones of bigotry and, in fact, was so expansive about embracing everybody. And we took that, we took that as our objective, to be open to, welcome to, listen to everybody so that event you were at, at the banquet hall, was the Conversations with Karen. That was a tour of neighborhoods around the city of Chicago we were doing. That was just one stop. Um, and that one, I've even got pictures of it on my uh, my Facebook album that I created, the pictures I took of Karen. Walter Jacobson was the moderator interviewer for Karen. It was Karen's on the table, and Walter was there to interview her. It was, it was a cool event, and the hall was filled to the capacity, more than was allowed by the fire code, and people were jammed in there standing up listening to two hours of discussion about Chicago needs and issues and challenges and things that have been ignored, starting with education, starting with the need for affordable housing development. Karen was keen about these issues of jobs and the economy in the city. And union support, honest support, not having police or whoever it is go for two and three years with no contract, unresolved, because you're going to be some kind of obstinate mayor thinking you're in control. We're sick of that. Chicago is sick of that. But it was it was a broad scope, Ben, I think. It's just, again, taking our message to communities. That was the strategy. Yeah. Well, one thing that struck me uh, was the presence of police officers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they were uh, plain clothes. They were there with their wives, I think, or maybe they were there with their husbands. I don't know. But the, the fact of the matter, uh, I had the sense that there was it was a totally different time, uh, Michael. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. is before the Laquan McDonald, uh, with the revelation that uh, Mayor Rahm had been concealing uh, this evidence of a murder. So the Laquan McDonald shooting had already happened, right? Isn't it? No, it hadn't. Ha- it hadn't no, even no, it happened had- yet. It hadn't happened yet. Uh, but it was before the revelation, which which is such a jolting revelation, politically speaking, in the city of Chicago when it emerged that Rahm had been sitting on this tape, uh, and uh, it was a, so a different time politically. Karen was making an overt attempt. Yeah, uh, but remember, me. but remember, and, and you know, we think now today, unfortunately, there's this, this image that all cops are bad pigs trying to kill black people. Not all cops are racist. No, cops are also like every teacher. Also, they're homeowners, they're renters. They got children in the schools. We're all paying sales and property taxes to support this city. Karen was clear about relating to people on based on where she was coming from and where they were coming from again we're taking the message we're not talking to you as a cop we're not going to have prejudged conclusions about who you are we're both have to survive together in this city and we're going to do it together and thrive bet you we can bet you we can that that's that's karen's coolness that's that's the coolness from heights from again with i <laughs> we, we can we can and we will uh, yeah, I do throw that Kenwood High thing in there. Uh, it always, yeah. Good. And she also had cred, uh, and this is as as a lefty, and I'm going to speak here. Uh, she was the one 
who led the charge in so many ways against um, all of the Demi, uh, and I have it in reform, I have it in quotes, excuse me, school reform movement. She called it deform. She she would like trash talk. She had uh, made up names for all the groups. Mm-hmm. Stand on, I, to this day, I, I want to call them, uh, it's stand for children, but because of Karen, I always want to say stand on children. It's really stand, hard for Stand me. on children, yeah. Yeah, I, I get that in my head. Um, so she was coming at it from the left, and I think that gave her credibility, uh, Michael. Uh, I know you supported Troy, a good friend of the show, uh, his very sh- uh, short uh, mayoral race back in 2019. But there really hasn't been a challenge from the left. The left is subsumed in Chicago over the last few years, in my humble opinion. Uh, Karen Lewis was just unabashed from left of center perspective. And I think that gave her credibility uh, in the coming campaign. What's your thoughts about the left uh, and the role it plays here in the city of Chicago? Well, I guess, um, you know, I, I said earlier, I'm co-chairperson of Network 49 here in Rogers Park. And I would say we're absolutely a left of center on the issues and policies. And, and, and what is center? Basically, that's the people who, the haves versus the have-nots. The haves still got, they've got their money and power and they want to conserve it and they want to expand it. Our left thinking means is that all of that money and power really belongs to all of us, not just you. Um, so the, the left in Chicago now is very, I'd say it's very expansive and it's very spread out. We don't have... A singular leader. We rarely had a singular leader. Harold Washington seemed to fit that bill at one time. Um, Karen Lewis was definitely filling that as as the the leader everybody focused on. Right now, I don't see a leader. I see lots of good ones, and they're in different communities around the city. Lots of individual leaders, good organizations as well. But I don't uh, think we got to the stage yet where someone's going to stand up and say, Harold's did it. Karen did it. I'm going to do it next. Mm-hmm. It'll happen. I'm hoping you're right. All right. Uh, I, after Karen died, I wrote a column uh, that compared her to Muhammad Ali uh, in that she's praised and loved so much now that she's not here, but she was not praised so much when she was here. And, um, uh, so that's my position that uh, when powerful voices uh, who are not in the mainstream leave the stage, suddenly they're loved because they're not around yes. uh, to champion the themes that made him yes. so controversial. Uh, Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, Karen Lewis are in that boat. Uh, to that point, Mayor, <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot, after uh, issuing a, a tweet, I guess it was, uh, praising Karen, did an interview with the New York Times, which she basically trashed the Chicago Teachers Union uh, and likened them to the Fraternal Order of Police uh, and um, said that if it was up to the Teachers Union, the kids would never go back to school and everyone in Chicago uh, should drop to their knees at night and uh, thank the all-powerful mayor uh, for uh, opening, reopening the schools in the pandemic. And I was like, man, they didn't wait long to totally... <laughs> Let it be known. Like, this is straight out of the ROM playbook. 
your thoughts, Michael Harrington, on yeah, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's interview. And Go she ahead. also said in that New York Times interview that the teachers union is acting like it doesn't want to just manage work on public education, but the teachers union wants to run the city. Well, you know what? That tells me Mayor Lightfoot is feeling very threatened. And I'm, I think that's not a good place to be for all of us. We need the mayor to be working for and listening to the public. And if the Chicago Teachers Union is the, the large organization with power enough to speak back and talk back to City Hall, so be it. But I think the mayor is wrong to be feeling threatened by Chicago Teachers Union. She's wrong to be intimidated or thinking someone wants her job. No one wants her job. We want her to do her job. And that's not what we're seeing happening right now. Um, I, I, you know, lots of concerns, lots of concerns. That's why I was supporting Troy. Troy, again, education was in his blood through and through, total right on the principles and, and standards that we expect for serving all of Chicago. That's why I was managing Troy's campaign. I think that is what we need mayor to do to live up to her promises mm-hmm. her campaign promises to support an elected school board in Chicago where is that where are the promises that, that and expectations that we were led to believe about about progressive work left to center work on housing issues on policing issues um, no we're not we're not seeing that right now unfortunately I don't believe mayor life would actually have the credentials or the track record showing that she had been responsive to the public. And that's what's real important. I don't want to know how many millionaires are lined up to donate to your campaign. Don't tell me how many you know awards or, 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 or applause you've paid to happen. Show me what you've actually done. Show me where you were accountable, where you believed and put democracy into practice through your actions, not your campaign promises and words. And, um, oh, God, there's a lot I can say about me. You like, know, Michael, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, I I'm going to make a confession to you on this show. Right. I voted for Lori Lightfoot. I was at the hideout with Mick Dumkey and she was our guest and she told me everything I wanted to hear. I'm like, this this lady's a progressive. I'm going to vote for her. And uh, (laughs) and now I'm reading the paper. uh, Alderman uh, Michael Scott for the 24th Ward. He's like. He didn't literally say this, but he pretty much said it. Ben, you dummy. Were you dumb enough to believe a mayoral candidate when they made a promise? Everybody knows they just say any old thing. You, you should have believed what they say. You don't I'm check like, the promises. You check the track record. You show me the experience, the demonstrable proof that you actually believe what you're saying right now. Um, that We didn't have that. Mm. You know, I believed it with Harold. We saw it with Harold. I believed it in Karen. And I believed it in mayoral candidates that I support, like Troy. I believe people who have done the work, shown their colors, spoken truth to power. Um, uh, Karen could speak truth to power in colorful words or the King's English when required. Yeah. And, and we both had always did that. That's, that's another thing about being from Kenwood. You call it like you see it. Yeah. Uh, God, I wish I was at that cafeteria table back in 1970 with a young oh, Michael Harrington. Cool, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so All right, we're going to close with this. We're going to do some uh, politics, Northside politics. Uh, we've talked a lot about this show and love to get your thoughts on this. 
and uh, that, of course, is State Senator Heather Staines all of a sudden decided right after she was reelected uh, that she didn't want to serve term. I thought it would have been a little, I don't know, better for everybody involved if you had come to the, made that confession six months ago. So there'd be a, a people could run for your vacant seat, et cetera, and so forth. But, you know, Heather Staines didn't listen to me. She suddenly decided she didn't want, want to run. Uh, she didn't want to uh, fill out the term she was just elected to. So there was a vacancy. And the way vacancies are filled in the city of Chicago is that the committee men from the who's are in that district uh, vote have a weighted vote and they decide on a successor uh casey kelly cassidy uh, threw her hat in the ring the state rep uh you let it be known that if there was a vacancy uh for Kelly Cassidy's state rep seat that you would like to be considered for it. And when all was said and done, Michael Simmons, uh, a former aide to uh, Rahm Emanuel and uh, an employee uh, at, for the Obama Center, was uh, named a senator, uh, and Kelly Cassidy uh, will be re- remain state rep. Your thoughts when all is settled, Michael, about what that whole process says about Chicago and Chicago politics go? Well, I guess it starts with I was I was surprised when I was read social media about the Staines resignation, and in the same articles, my name had been mentioned as a cat. Neighbors, voters here apparently were talking to reporters. Well, who could who could be filling Kelly Cassidy's seat? And my name was listed. That's that's interesting. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. You know what? I'm I'm working hard. I've lived in this community for 25 years. I can give and serve in that way. Sure, I'd be happy to be a candidate. And so I was with, we had many community Zoom meetings held by, organized by community groups to interview candidates. And I was proud to participate in that. And I was interested and would have served for the two years remaining in a vacant state rep seat. Um, Kelly Cassidy did not get the senatorial appointment. So Kelly Cassidy is now the, her still and continues to be our, our good, very good state representative. Our, our policy hat is wonderful. She puts on her policy hat. But the issue of how that politics happens, that's bad. He has two years left in the state Senate seat. And I believed we needed to have a special election. A small group, again, the Democrat, the club, decides how things go down. The dominoes are going, dominoes are going to fall this way. The musical chairs are going to be moved around that way. Again, Members of the public, the voters, the citizens who pay the taxes, pay their salaries, don't get a chance to participate in decision-making that affects their lives. It's a long-standing abiding principle of mine. So I would have, yes, I would have served if I had been appointed to the two-year vacancy in the state rep seat. I would not have run for election because I believe voters need a chance to do the thorough vetting, evaluation, scrutiny of candidates that want your vote claiming, as Lori Lightfoot did, that they had the left and progressive credentials to actually serve. You find out in a real campaign, hopefully, that happens. Unfortunately, money then is a big factor, too. Sometimes our votes go on more of a beauty contest or the popularity contest, and that happens because money pays for good advertising. Money influences what people think is reality. So we've got lots of work to do still to make democracy happen in Chicago. I'm still here for the fight. All right, that's good to hear. By the way, for the, for the record, uh, I, I had a hard time. I wrote a column about this uh, mustering outrage about it all because, uh, Michael, I'm consumed 
I almost like a, a fear. I mean, another confession, like what what MAGA represents in this country, uh, and how far into the control of Donald Trump the Republican Party has gone. This is like it, that last election mm-hmm. was so close. The presidential election yes. was so close in terms yeah. of electoral college. The, the Senate's tied 50-50. You go yeah. back to the Republican. The The House is very close. So I'm really, uh, I have to admit, it's kind of strange coming from me, but writing about Chicago politics for uh, 30 years, uh, over 30 years, ever since you uh, first threw your hat in the ring back in uh, the 44th Ward way back then. I, I, I'm having a hard time, Michael, being as upset <laughs> and outraged about this stuff as I used to be because the threat uh, from the outside, from the Republicans, is so enormous. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? God, I have a lot of perspective. You know, you know, Calling a spade a spade, we know there's a whole, there's a lot of people that still think that that they won the Civil War hundreds of years ago in that party. No question about them. However, there's a whole bunch of other people, and you know, our nation is almost put as far as who goes to vote split fifty fifty. There's a bunch of people also part of that who either have felt economic challenges. The capitalist system in this nation is still squeezing everybody out. Very few people are welcome at the table. So black, white, and brown, that's hitting too. There, there's the, the economy, stupid, is the issue for a lot of people. And then more than just those, those old Dixiecrat-type people in, in both parties. Um, candidates, our politics is going to have to improve, can improve if we can get some people Hey, like Harold Washington, like Karen Lewis, who speak and listen to and are responsive to more than just their own inner circle, people in the club. We never, Karen never played in that club. We, that wasn't the kind of politics we, we, we worked in. And I think we were successful because we broadened who was welcome to participate. All right, very good. Michael, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to come talk to us. And uh, we'll probably bring you back more to uh, talk some politics. Uh, political junkie Michael Harrington, almost uh, as much of a political junkie as I am. No, I'd say he's right up. He's probably tied with me. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, political junkie extraordinary. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. That's the great Michael Harrington. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.